Well, speaking of babies, this morning we're going to talk about Mary. And, uh, and what a gift that, like, this just so happened that, the, that we're speaking about Mary on a morning when we had a baby dedication because as Walter was up here and I was looking at him in his mom's arms, I was just thinking about what we're going to ta- be talking about and just kind of like experiencing this sense of like awe and wonder at the reality that Jesus, that God, came into the world as a tiny little baby. And they don't stay that little that long, do they? <laughs> but what a powerful reality that we celebrate at Christmas. And uh, this, this week, a controversy broke out on Twitter. Now, if you are on Twitter very much at all, this won't be much of a shock to you. You know, Twitter is kind of like a hotbed for controversy. That's why it's so much fun, right? But this week, the controversy that kind of caught my attention was about the song, Mary, Did You Know? The Christmas Carol, right? Mary, Did You Know? You guys know that one, right? Has anyone heard about this controversy? Yeah, awesome. Right, so uh, some of you might be wondering, well, like, you guys know the lyrics, right? Like, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters, right? It's this Christmas carol that walks through the amazing things that Jesus would do and kind of presents the question uh, as to whether Mary grasped the immensity uh, and the wonder of what God had called her to as he was kind of like pulling her into this story of unfolding salvation as she was called to to give birth to Jesus. So you might be wondering, well, what was the controversy about the song? And uh, really, this is to sum it all up, there were some people on Twitter, apparently this is actually kind of an annual controversy. I've missed it. This is the first year it caught my attention. But there were some people who are bothered by uh, the fact that this song is, is essentially like mansplaining. Have you heard this term mansplaining? It's, not, I'm, it's their words, not mine. Okay, this is like this very um, uncommon occurrence that sometimes happens where a man explains something to a woman that she probably already knows. Okay, so <laughs> what people are saying is that this song is kind of just like mansplaining uh, to the mother of God who Jesus was and you know, who her own son was going to become and the things that he would do in the world. And so these people that were kind of upset by this would, would say, of course Mary knew, right? Of course Mary knew. Angel Gabriel came and told her we have this in our scriptures. And not only that, she was the one who held Jesus in her arms. She was like caught up into the mystery. And so we've got to like put this song to rest, right? So that's the one camp. And then, of course, there was another group that rose up on Twitter uh, crying out in defense of this song, you know, saying, well, yeah, of course she knew, right? Of course she, she knew cognitively uh, what Jesus would do, but could she possibly have grasped the fullness of what God was doing through this baby? And the whole point of the song is to evoke a sense of awe at what God was doing in those tender moments as Mary held this little baby in her arms. Now, maybe some of you have an opinion about this song. Maybe some of you guys have been like on your own Twitter feeds, getting right into this. Probably most of you have like better things to worry about, right? Especially in our world, we've got lots to kind of worry about. Um, I'm not, not looking to cause a church split. But this did get me thinking about the reality that 
If we were to pay attention to the Christmas carols that we sing in this season, we wouldn't have a difficult time kind of picking them apart and finding things that don't really line up with how the story really went. You know what I mean? Hear me? Like, for example, Silent Night. Let's start there, right? Just the first few lines. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Do you think that that's how it went? There's no way that it was calm and silent that night that Jesus was born. There's nothing calm or silent about the process of labor, right? I've seen it on TV. Like there's always lots of yelling, groaning. It's like not a quiet process, okay? And Mary's circumstances were uniquely stressful because as you may remember, there was no room in the inn, right? So she's having to lay down her newborn baby into a feeding trough. Like this was intense. I'm sure if you asked Mary to tell you about her birth story, calm, silent, those words would not have come up. And what about away in a manger? You know, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Come on. The whole uh, big deal about the incarnation is that God became flesh and blood, that he embraced the fullness of what it means to be human. And one of the things that baby humans do is cry, right? Baby Jesus cried. And I don't know, (laughs) this week I looked up the lyrics to the song, The Little Drummer Boy? Have you guys ever paid attention to those lyrics? Like, who wrote that song? (laughs) Who came up with that? Mary's just delivered a baby, like under very difficult circumstances, and we're supposed to believe that what her heart was longing for, that what she needed in that moment was a kid to come up to her and kind of smash on a drum. You know, there's no way that, that that would have gone over well You know, it it wouldn't have been as beautiful and well-received as is portrayed in that song, The Little Drummer Boy. Are you with me? And the reason I bring all this up is because it actually matters. In our culture, when we celebrate Christmas, we romanticize the events surrounding Jesus' birth. Whether it's through our Christmas pageants or in our nativity scenes or through the songs we sing, we sanitize the story that we read in scripture so that it can give us those warm Christmas fuzzies that we all like to experience at this time of year. But the truth is that the world that Jesus was born into wasn't a world that was filled with warm fuzzies at all. Jesus was actually born into a world that was filled with a lot of darkness and a lot of hopelessness. When Jesus was born, it had been 400 years since the Jewish people had received any word from God. 400 years. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for them to hold on to the promise that God had given them? for them to hold on to that belief that they really were God's chosen people, that God was still on the move. The Jewish people at this time were living under oppression, right? They were living under the authority 
of the Romans. Hope was hard to find in the world that Jesus was born into. And I don't know about you, but this year I've been finding that fact incredibly comforting. Because no matter how many strings of lights we might hang up outside of our houses and no matter how beautiful our Christmas trees might look and no matter how perfectly we might uh, cook our Christmas turkeys, you, I won't be cooking any Christmas turkeys ever. (laughs) Don't trust me in the kitchen. Deep down, we all know that we're living in a world that's filled with weariness. We're almost two years into a global pandemic. It feels like our world is more divided than it's ever been. The tragic news headlines just won't stop coming. And on top of all of these things that are kind of happening in the world, a lot of us are struggling with different stresses and challenges in our families, in our workplaces, or just with mental health. That's kind of things have piled up one on top of the other. And so in some ways, the parties and the lights and the Christmas celebrations almost feel like a charade against the backdrop of all of the brokenness in our world this year. But when we take an honest look at the Christmas story, what we find is that it's right in the midst of a world that's filled with darkness and pain and brokenness that Jesus is born to bring light and peace. So when we're willing to take a more real and honest look at the Christmas story, it offers an incredible amount of hope as we navigate everything that just doesn't feel right about this Christmas season. So last week we talked about an old couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. If you were tracking with us, you probably remember, remember this. Zachariah and Elizabeth were a, a Jewish couple who were faithful to God and they hadn't been able to conceive. And in this culture, that came with a lot of shame and judgment. In fact, people believed at this time that if you weren't able to have children, that it was a sign that God's blessing wasn't on you. And yet Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to worship God and to live lives of obedience to him. That we saw this steady faithfulness in this couple. Zachariah was a priest. He was a man who had religious status. And one day when he was going about his religious priestly duties, the angel, angel Gabriel showed up, right? Freaked him right out and told him that Elizabeth was going to have a baby. And in, in this circumstance, this was a very big deal because Elizabeth was very old, And this baby was going to turn the people of Israel back to their God and prepare the way for the Lord. And so Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. This morning, we're going to look at the next section of the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, where a young woman named Mary is called to this important role to give birth to the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for. It's a big deal. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. 
says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, doesn't Gabriel have like the absolute best angelic job? Like, this is awesome, right? He just goes around like showing up suddenly out of the blue in these moments of surprise and freaking people out and then sharing good news with them, right? It's like the best job ever. And it's easy uh, in this passage to kind of uh, move along through this greeting that we hear from Gabriel, that Gabriel gives to Mary, but it's actually really significant. So I don't want us to miss this. Okay, so Gabriel says to Mary, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And here's the thing that makes that so powerful. There was nothing about Mary that made her stand out as being particularly favored in her social world. In fact, it was just the opposite. Everything kind of stacked against her in terms of her social status. Mary was young. She was a woman in a world where women didn't have any rights. She was poor. She didn't come from a family that had any sort of status. As far as the world was concerned, there was nothing special. There was nothing impressive about Mary at all. But what we see in this passage is that God isn't concerned with what the world says about who has value and who doesn't. And so when Gabriel greets Mary, he does it according to how God sees her. He says, greetings, favored woman. And how does Mary respond? Let's look, verse 29. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Confused and disturbed, that's fair, right? You can think Mary would probably be confused and disturbed in this scenario. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This is the moment that the Jewish people have been waiting for. Everything that Gabriel is saying to Mary here echoes with the promise that God has made to his people that he would send a Messiah who would bring salvation to the world. And then verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Okay, can't blame her. Fair question, right? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. That was an image that was often used at this time to talk about God's presence. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. She was barren, but she has conceived a son and now is in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Now, That, my friends, is an angelic message that would mess with your plans. 
right? This is gonna throw a bit of a wrench in the, the plans that Mary's got scheduled for her future as someone who's about to be married. Last week, I was at my parents' house with my nephew, Ethan. Some of you know Ethan, he's six, and he's at that age now where he's getting really, really excited about Santa, you know? And so we're kind of trying to like offset it by making sure that we're teaching him about Jesus. This is really hard for baby Jesus to compete with Santa for six-year-olds. I mean, we've all got to be honest about that. So we're trying to make sure he understands, you know, the meaning of the Christmas story, what Christmas is all about. And uh, my mom was walking him through this very passage, actually. She's walking him through this story when Gabriel shows up to Mary and she's got this nativity set out, right? And so we're walking through the different characters and uh, the angel appears to Mary. And then as my mom's telling this story, she pauses and she, she looks to Ethan and she says, hey, Ethan, how would you feel if an angel showed up in your bedroom in the middle of the night and surprised you with a message about something exciting that was gonna happen? Okay, without even thinking about it right away, Ethan says, oh, I'd be mad. <laughs> and so we're just kind of, we're looking at him, like thinking maybe he understood the question. You know, I would have thought maybe a little more like something like surprise, something like that. So, so I clarified, I was like, so Ethan, you're saying like, if an angel came into your room, you understand what's going on. An angel comes into your room in the night and has a special, exciting message for you about something that's going to happen. And, uh, and you're going to be mad? And he's like, yeah, I'd be mad. I'm like, why would you be mad? And he looks at me like I'm new, like, like I should know. And he's like, because I wouldn't get enough sleep. You can count on a six-year-old to say it like it is, can't you? When God shows up in our lives and he calls us to something, the truth is it always comes with a cost. We all love the idea of receiving revelation from God, of hearing from God, of having God speak to us. But when God calls us to something new, the truth is it always requires something of us. And what Ethan didn't know is that Mary was being asked to give up a whole lot more than just a little bit of sleep. This good news that she received came at a great cost to Mary. First of all, you know, as we said, I mean, it really would have thrown a, a, a wrench in any of the plans that she had as somebody who's just on her way to, to getting married to Joseph. They would have had to cancel like the, the honeymoon cruise, you know, I'm sure. Anything that she had written on the calendar for her future, I mean, that would have been scrapped. It's like 2020, <laughs> but like much better, really. <laughs> we all know this feeling, like all the plans are suddenly put on hold, just up in the air. This news would have put her marriage at risk. Like, think about it, right? What are the odds that Joseph would really believe her when she tried to explain the whole immaculate conception thing? Like, she has no guarantees at this point, right? It put her reputation at risk. She could lose her friends, her family could disown her. Even her life would have been at risk in this culture if they had a belief that she'd committed adultery. And Mary received this news at a time when scholars say that it was only about one in every two children that made it to age 10. Can you imagine like the pressure 
that she would feel, the fears that she would have as she thought about this reality that she was the one responsible to keep the Messiah alive. I mean, like there weren't any mommy blogs at this time, right? No one, there weren't books that she could just go borrow from the library. Mary's being called to this amazing role in this unfolding story of God's salvation. She's gonna be able to feel God himself growing inside of her. Her body was gonna carry the one who was finally going to bring hope and to make all things new. But this incredible call came with an incredible amount of risk. And it would require an incredible amount of sacrifice and courage. Take a minute to think about this for a second. How do you respond when God calls you to do something that forces you to step out of your comfort zone? How do you respond when you feel God calling you to make some changes in your life or to give something up that matters to you? How do you respond? Mary doesn't run away. She doesn't start rehearsing all of the ways that things might go wrong. She doesn't try to convince the angel that she's not the right person, that Gabriel should go get someone else. She doesn't even ask for more information on how this is all going to roll out. Like, I would want some pretty clear step-by-step directions, you know, to make sure I didn't mess it up. She doesn't do that. Mary simply says this. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary gives us this beautiful example of what it looks like to live in a posture of surrender. She shows us what it looks like to have courage to do something that's risky because she had this deep sense of trust in her God. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then Mary goes and she visits Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant with uh, John the Baptist at this point in time. And we're not going to read this, this section today, but I don't want to miss this because what Mary does here is actually incredibly important. She goes to visit Elizabeth, who's the only person she knows that she can trust to understand what's going on in her life. In this season of vulnerability and of fear and of joy and excitement, she goes and spends three whole months with the one person she knows really gets it. She knows really understand the fullness of what she's experiencing. And when uh, Mary greets Elizabeth, they share this really powerful, beautiful moment. It's like one of the best moments of this, of this story. Elizabeth can feel little baby John leaping inside of her in response to Mary's greeting, right? Mary shows up, says, hey, Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the baby inside of her starts to leap in joy. It's like this environment, the atmosphere is charged with anticipation about what God is about to do through these women and through the babies that they're carrying. We're going to pick things up at Luke 2, 
verses 1 to 7. So at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go back to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took Mary with him to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. So Mary and Joseph have to go back to Joseph's hometown, to Bethlehem, so that a census could be taken. And there's actually some irony in the, in the text here because Mary's preparing to give birth to the king of the world, right? who Gabriel said, who his reign would endure forever. Meanwhile, the Jewish people are living under the authority of someone else. They're living under the authority of Rome. So there's this contrast of two different kinds of power. There's the power that we see in Augustus, which was this worldly power. Right? Augustus was well known for his building projects. He actually bragged that he uh, found Rome built in brick, but he left it in marble. He talked about himself as a deity. There was like a legend that he was miraculously conceived by like a serpent or something crazy like that. Everything about him represented this power that was rooted in wealth and status and control of others. But Mary, this teenage girl who was nobody special in the world's eyes, was about to give birth to a baby boy who would change the world through a different kind of power through the power of humble, unassuming, self-giving love. And his kingdom is the one that God has promised will never end. So Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem, right? Every pregnant woman's dream, going 110 kilometers uphill, you know? I'm sure it was a difficult trek. And then we get to verse 6. It says, and while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Did you catch that? This was the moment that we've all been waiting for. Jesus is born, the Messiah that has been promised to the Israelites that the Jewish people had been waiting for for generation after generation has finally entered into the world. And this is all the information that we get about this historic event in the Gospel of Luke. She gave birth to her firstborn son. If you want evidence that this gospel was written by a man, <laughs> there it is, right? We get no details about what Mary went through during Jesus' birth at all. I mean, giving birth isn't something that just happens, right? It doesn't just happen. You don't like start out pregnant one moment and then the next moment you just are like holding a baby, right? Labor is not for the faint of heart. And even though we don't get the details in the text, this is how God chose to come into the world to bring about his salvation, This is how hope was born. This is how love broke into the world to make all things new through this messy, 
risky, excruciatingly painful process of childbearing that ultimately led to Mary being able to hold this tiny little baby in her arms and to look into his eyes and to know that through him, everything, everything was about to change. And all of that fear she'd experienced, all of that uncertainty about her future, all of the morning sickness, <laughs> all of the pain that she'd experienced throughout the labor process was worth it. Because love had been born through her. Maybe this morning you are in a place where God's calling you to something that's outside of your comfort zone. He loves to do that, by the way. I wouldn't be surprised if, you pay, if you're paying attention that God might be calling you this very morning to something that's outside of your comfort zone. Maybe he's calling you to do something that scares you. Maybe he's calling you to make a change in your life or to give something up or to forgive somebody or to face some sort of brokenness inside of you so that you can experience his healing. What we see throughout the Christmas story and actually throughout the entire Bible is that when God calls us into something, when he wants to give birth to something new in us, we shouldn't be discouraged and we shouldn't get surprised if there's times where it feels a little bit messy or if there's times when it gets painful or if it comes along with some serious risk. We live in a culture that's constantly trying to invent and sell us gadgets that will make our lives easier. You know what I'm saying? Probably, we all, we all have them, right? We all have them. You can buy vacuum cleaners uh, that are robots that'll like scoot around on your floor and do it for you. Right, you can get groceries delivered right to your front door. I think they're making good progress on like those self-driving cars. Right? We're always looking to, for ways to make our lives easier, but we all know that it's often in the midst of the situations that are the most painful and the most challenging that God is most able to work in us and through us to bring his healing and transformation. It's never easy. The things that matter most are never easy. So what can we learn from our passage today about how to get through those seasons where things feel tough? How can we hold on to hope when we're moving towards something that we feel God calling us to and we start to face challenges? We're gonna talk about three very practical things before we wrap up today, just to make this real and practical before we, before we finish up. The first one is this, when things get tough, lean on the people you can trust. Luke tells us that just three days after Mary got the news that she was going to give birth to Jesus, she goes and she spends three months with Elizabeth, who, as we said, would have been the only person who would have really understood what she was going through. And we just get like the tiniest little glimpse into the time that they spent together. But I'm sure that Mary and Elizabeth had all kinds of meaningful conversations in those three months. I'm sure they prayed for each other. I'm sure they supported each other as they kind of processed everything that they were experiencing. God designed us for community. 
right? We need each other. That's why we do this. That's why we gather together on Sunday mornings. That's why we encourage you to join a small group or to at least find some people that you can trust to pray for you, to remind you of the things that you know to be true and to point you towards Jesus. When life gets hard, lean on the people you can trust. You don't have to do it on your own. The second thing is this, pay attention. Pay attention. Keep your eyes open for the ways that God is on the move. Mary knew that she was going to have to go through a lot of pain and a lot of uncertainty as she prepared to give birth to Jesus. But she never lost sight of what God was doing and why it was ultimately all going to be worth it in the end. And that's exactly what will give us the strength to keep pushing through when we start to deal with fears and challenges that tempt us to give up, to walk away from what God is calling us to. And here's the last one. Hold these words close in your heart and mind. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. These were some of the first words that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary when he shared the good news with her that she was going to give birth to Jesus. And I bet that those were the exact words that gave her the courage she needed to say, may everything you have said about me come true. She could move forward into this risky calling because God was going to be with her. And because God was going to be with her, she didn't need to be afraid. And I bet that as time went on, as she and Joseph were traveling to Bethlehem, as she was going into labor, years down the road, uh, when she thought she lost Jesus at the temple, remember that? (laughs) When he was 12 years old, they were coming back from the Passover festival, they couldn't find Jesus. And even more down the road, as, as she was looking at Jesus on the cross, I bet she came back to these words again and again, don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. There's something about knowing deep in our bones that God is with us that has the ability to carry us through life's most difficult circumstances. God is with you. He loves you and he's for you. And that changes everything. In the seasons like the one we're in where everything is covered in lights and tinsel and we feel like we're supposed to be full of Christmas cheer, but at the same time, we're weary and the world is feeling like it's spinning out of control. We're often tempted to kind of fall into one of two extremes. Either we fake it and we put on a smile and we do our best to ignore all of the painful parts of what's going on around us or we just give in and we surrender to despair and hopelessness. But a more honest look at the Christmas story invites us into a different way forward, where we can hold both the pain and the joy at the very same time, where we can be honest about the brokenness and the darkness around us, and at the same time, hold on to the gritty hope that comes when we've experienced the love of Jesus who came into the world to make all things new, to be the light in the darkness, to bring hope 
to the hopeless, who gives us strength when we feel like we can't carry on. The, promise, the, the Jesus who promised that throughout it all, he would be with us.